Now on Documentary on News Talk, producers Sean and Morris tell the story of Ireland's longest running LGBTQ magazine and explores the social history reflected in its pages in 35 Years of GCN. It was still illegal to be gay in Ireland in 1988. Ireland is the only sovereign EEC country to still retain criminal sanctions in law against homosexuality with penalties from 10 years to life imprisonment. My name is Lisa Connell. I worked for GCN for 14 years, most recently as its managing editor for the last three years. I left last September after 14 years with the organisation. 88 was the first magazine. When it was first established, it came out of a, a need. The NGF, as they were at the time, understood that there was a need because actually mainstream media was either actively homophobic or full-out ignoring LGBT people and the concerns that we face. It was a bit of a, if they're not going to talk about it, we need to talk about it. I think sometimes we take it for granted now, but it was an incredibly, in that context, it was a really brave move. It's a fundamental human right to, to love another human being. And I'm looking at this country's law, and it's supposed to be a Christian country, and on, on its statute books, it says that my sexuality is illegal. It hurts me. I'm ashamed of that law. I find it shameful, that law. And it, it has to go. In the very early days of the gay movement, when we started off, the whole concept of homosexuality was alien to Ireland, and it was just simply never spoken of. I mean, it was literally the unspeakable crime. It never entered polite conversation. It was never reported on in the media. There were no gay characters in any of the soap operas. I mean, gay people just did not exist officially. To start off, I always thought it was important that we have publications. And I think one of the first ones was called In Touch. I'm not even sure that there wasn't before that a kind of cyclo style. It was kind of a single sheet. And it was just to keep people in touch, to uh, act as a kind of a communication between ourselves in Dublin and particularly the, the, the people in, in the country. And Gay Community News, I authorised the, the starting off and the headquarters were in the old Hirschfeld Centre. We're standing here outside number 10 Found Street Upper, which was the site of the original Hirschfeld Center in Temple Bar. I opened it on St. Patrick's Day, 1979. We had a restaurant, a cinema, a discotheque, a library, counseling rooms, a publishing house. We ran discos not just for gay people, but also for women's issues, for environmental issues and so on. I called it the Hirschfeld Centre after the late Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, who was a pioneering psychologist. He was gay. He was the leader of the gay movement in Germany. And this building behind me here was the first Hirschfeld Centre in the world. It wasn't universally popular, although it was very popular with gay people. But there were various attacks on it, arson attacks. There was a bomb attack. I went up and found a bomb on the roof. I defused it and got the police and the disco went ahead. You can't stop gay people dancing. 
So uh, it had a, a very much a checkered period and checkered history. Now, everything in Temple Bar got funded by central government. The one group that never got a single penny was the group that started it, the Hirschfeld Center. Why is it the image of gay people seems to have taken on a profile? Well, basically because of places like this, because the center has established itself, because the National Gay Federation has made its profile public, has come out in many ways to the public, has made itself known to the media, has made itself known to other people, has established a social centre, a community centre here in Dublin. So it's possible for gay people to come in and relate to themselves, discover their own personalities, discover their own sexuality and then go back out into the world that bit more confident and that bit more aware of what they are and consequently they communicate to other people the fact that they are gay and it, 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 this raises their own profile and encourages other people to, to do likewise. You don't wish at any time that you were um, like the girls you work with? I'd chasing fellas at dances or whatever girls all. do? No, not at all. I, I wouldn't change my life or myself for anything. You know, I'm happy the way I am I, I, in everything in life. Although I, presumably it, it, there may be problems ahead of you, which you wouldn't have if you were uh, heterosexual. But there again, there could be problems ahead of me if I were heterosexual and not gay that I wouldn't have being gay. Obviously, sort of people are frightened to come out because of the stereotypical image. And with, you know, the centre, we've come, you know, we've managed to get our confidence together and we have come out and we are trying to bridge you know, the massive gulf between the people we actually are and the people we supposedly are. Gay Community News, the headquarters were in the old Hirschfeld Centre and I'm very glad that it's continued on after the destruction of the Hirschfeld Centre. My name is Tony Walsh. I've been a civil rights activist since 1979, uh, which was the same year that I came out. I'm a jobbing journalist and archivist. This is just a small sample of newspaper clippings and periodicals collected by gay and lesbian organisations since the early 70s and highlighting problems that still exist today. There is, there's an awful lot to show of a time, like the 80s was a very tawdry, sad, desolate period in, in lesbian gay life in, in Ireland. There was a huge amount of denial going on. There was, there was this official statutory denial going on at, 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 at level of government. There was a denial going on about the very existence of, of lesbian gay people. So in a sense, the archive is about acknowledging the visibility and existence of lesbian gay people. I was one of the individuals, or the main individual, who imagined GCN back in 1986. And of course, it's a year after we've identified the HIV virus, so we're in the thick of the AIDS pandemic. The Dublin Pride Parade has juddered to a halt because people were exhausted and emigrating and also had moved their focus towards the AIDS pandemic. I had got my first job as a journalist the year beforehand in 1985, working on Out Magazine. Now, Out Magazine was Ireland's first commercial A4 bi-monthly magazine. There was a great group of people working on it. Nan McCafferty had a column. Playwright Frank McGuinness also contributed to it on a regular basis, as did British filmmaker Derek Jarman. And Out Magazine was really interesting. It ran for four years. Out Magazine eventually floundered. You know, it was a socially and economically hostile climate. In terms of getting advertising, it was always difficult. When Out Magazine was set up, 
It's good to recall that we're only a few years after Eason's refusing to stock any publication if a title included the words lesbian or gay in its name. By the mid-80s, there was already a change in the air, and that was sort of emblematic of a wider change in Irish society. But there were huge gaps in the Irish mainstream representation and inclusion of LGBT issues, and there are big issues that we're tackling at the time. There's trauma. There's a huge, the newly liberated LGBT community is facing one of its worst trials, the AIDS pandemic, and we need information. So having a publication was hugely important, particularly given that historically the Irish government had time and time again tried to censor our access to information. You know, it banned gay news. Europe's uh, largest English language newspaper it banned gay news in 1976 and it tried to ban it again in 1982. That's the type of climate, the culture that we exist in at the time. A year ago, the Irish gay rights movement was founded in Dublin to fight for the rights of Irish homosexuals. Ireland is the only sovereign EEC country to still retain criminal sanctions in law against homosexuality, with penalties from 10 years to life imprisonment. In studio tonight, we have the national chairman of the Irish gay rights movement, David Norris. David, are homosexuals sick people? No, indeed they're not. We're neither sick ill, pathological, neurotic, or any of these emotive terms that are occasionally used by people who are not well informed on the subject to conceal their own prejudices and to allege that we are ill. Well, people might wonder, could the state of homosexuality be cured? Well, you only need a cure if you are unbalanced or unwell, and we are not. They've now reached the state in America of regarding homophobe people people who have an irrational fear or dislike of homosexuals as those who are really ill. Not us. One of the things that motivated me to set up GCN was frustration at the lack of LGBT representation in the mainstream print and broadcast media. What passed for LGBT representation was usually some tawdry, clickbait-style story about some gay rent boy being brutally murdered or some trans person being set upon. Or they were always rather salacious, negative stereotyping. That's, just, that's the type of behaviour that particularly that the Irish Red Tops engaged in. But there was very little positive representation. really, really important that we had a publication that spoke to us on our own terms. We were just interested in really recording our stories. And it also shared information with wider Irish society about the exciting things that were happening in terms of that sort of progressive determination to decriminalise and to improve communication in Irish society around the necessity for inclusive legislation. Very quickly after GCN was established, it became apparent to anyone and everyone who was involved or invested in the publication that we couldn't trust mainstream print and broadcast media to tell our stories. 
And because we couldn't trust them, we had to do it ourselves. Well, issue one, it was only eight pages and it was really difficult to fill. I mean, I actually adopted a couple of pseudonyms to make it look like there were more people writing for the publication when there actually are really only two or three of us. For the first two years, the magazine survived on the labour of volunteers. I didn't have a huge amount to do with it. I mean, I occasionally put in little articles and this sort of business, but, but the, I remember the, the editorial meetings and there'd be a lot of cutting and pasting and all this kind of stuff going on and stories being written up, but there was nothing else. People realised that we needed something like GCN. We needed something to tell our stories. We needed something that actually reflected our struggles and put value on our struggles. How is the mainstream press covering the AIDS pandemic around the time the GCN was set up? Well, it really wasn't covering it that well. And when it did, it engaged in fear-mongering, in reductive stereotyping, in a lot of othering. The lifestyle of some male homosexuals has triggered an epidemic of a rare form of cancer. A mystery disease known as the gay plague has become an epidemic unprecedented in the history Topping the list of likely victims are male homosexuals who have many partners and drug users who inject themselves with needles. It's deadly and it's baffling medical science. Once thought to affect only promiscuous homosexual males, AIDS... The print and broadcast media were, were complicit, not unlike much of Irish society, were, were complicit in furthering states of exclusion and furthering a culture of fear around AIDS and HIV lifestyle of some male homosexuals has particularly in the immediate aftermath of HIV being identified which was in 1985 issue 5 i think carried one of the earliest aids obituaries they were really important too putting a name and a face on our beloveds who died in some cases died the most appalling deaths and whose humanity wasn't being recognized by the mainstream media a mystery disease known as the gay plague has become an epidemic unprecedented in the history of Distributing GCN in the early days was an uphill struggle. Remember, this is after the fire in the Hirschfeld Centre, so at a stroke, the fire lost us an office, lost us a potential income stream. It also set back the publication date. We had a tiny budget and we, even though we wanted it to be free, we felt obliged to actually charge 10 Irish pennies I have memories of going out and trying to hawk it. And I remember, you know, going out to bars when I should have been going out, like, looking for the ride or having a fun time. And I'm actually selling the bloody magazine, you know?
but there was no other way of actually making it work. And it was the same with advertising. Some gay businesses were reluctant to to advertise in the publication. You know, I mean, some of that was emblematic of internalized homophobia. Or in other cases, they were just simply waiting to see if the magazine was actually going to survive the sort of choppy financial and social headwaters of the time. Getting it distributed also, you know, presented a whole host of problems because we're talking about the time before the internet, we're talking about the time when postage and couriering was expensive and we had a tiny budget. So we were really dependent on the goodwill of people and to sort of take, you know, 10 or 20 copies and make them available in some community centre. We'd send them to the prison service. And again, this is before decriminalisation when you think about it. We would send them to some community centres, again, sometimes where they would actually be thrown out. We'd send them to progressive arts centres, alternative community venues. You know, the, the magazine used to be delivered in, in brown paper envelopes and bags for, for many years. And then often some of the subscribers would be insistent and in making sure, OK, if I subscribe, is it coming in? Is it marked? Is there a stamp? You know, the postman shouldn't know what's in it, which obviously we never, you know, it was always anonymized because there was still such stigma attached and homophobia was rife. I mean, lots of people of a certain age, including myself, have stories of like sneaking your copy of GCN and it was there was a clandestine feeling to it, which, you know, thankfully to younger LGBT people hopefully feels quite weird, but actually was very real for people. People carried a lot of shame, a lot of stigma and also fear because homophobia was so widespread. The Vatican report mentions child adoption, military service, as well as the employment of teachers and sports instructors as areas where discrimination on the basis of homosexual tendencies is not unjust. Reaction to and criticism of that statement was swift. I'm a teacher. I very much resent an incitement to discriminate against me in my employment. Uh, and I just think it is wrong to foment the idea that we are not responsible, decent, good people. I mean, okay, put it this way, if there's a family living, if you're in a group of flats and there's a family living in the, in the flats next to you, that's fine, right? But if, two, if there's two gay people living in the, in the flat beside you, there's a problem there, you know? You're going to, you're not going to, you don't know what they're going to do next, right? I think it's very, very wrong when they try to flaunt it. We have seldom, in our 23 years of The Late Late Show, experienced a barrage of complaint and criticism about this next item as we have experienced this week. Some of it, mainly anonymous callers on the telephone, being extraordinarily hostile, aggressive, abusive and indeed on occasions obscene. The item is about a book called Breaking Silence, Lesbian Nuns on Convent Sexuality. Now, if this is the item which you think would be upsetting to you and the members of your family, then perhaps it would be a good thing to warn you and you may be advised to leave us now on the... 88 was the first magazine. There was nothing else. So it was very important to have an organ of communication. There was some international content, but a lot of it was news from around Ireland and news about what was happening at the Hirschfeld Centre and, and all the rest of it. There would also be coverage of political events that related to gay people, such as the court case that I took and so on. Well, it started off because within the Irish gay rights movement, of which I was one of the founders, there were various sections, and one of them was legal. And that was in order to provide assistance to men who were found in compromising circumstances. And very often they were married, professional 
men. And of course, they were terrified of the whole situation. So we represented them in court. And we had a, a completely successful series of uh, interventions. So, so no convictions, whatever. And I, I was hoping that one of these would allow us to mount a constitutional defence. But they wouldn't, of course, because that would have led to publicity, and that was the last thing they wanted. So we had to build a case around my experience. Now, one of the problems was what they call in law locus standi, showing that you have a reason to attack the legislation. I had to show that I was, had been injured by the bill. Now, I'd never been arrested, but I had had a collapse in Switzer's restaurant with my aunt, and uh, they sent for the heart ambulance. They thought it was a heart attack, and they carted me off to Bagger Street Hospital. And under examination there, it turned out my heart is perfectly all right, but they transpired that I was gay, and I told them that. And they said, well, that's, that's it, that's the reason. So they sent me off to a psychiatrist, and um, the psychiatrist said, oh, the laws in this country are very severe against gay men, and it would be very injurious to your mental health and well-being. So I recommend, my prescription for you is you go and live in the south of France, where attitudes are much more relaxed. But that gave me a locus standi. I could say, well, I've been advised professionally that the law was damaging my mental health and well-being. We lost in the High Court, but then we went off to the Supreme Court. That led to us going to Strasbourg. The Court of Human Rights had already condemned the 19th century laws penalising homosexuality. The key question to be answered in today's judgment, read by Court President Judge Ristall, was whether Senator Norris could claim to be himself a victim of a human rights violation. The Irish government had argued that the law in question was never used against the plaintiff, and in recent years there have been no prosecutions for private acts between consenting adults. However, the court noted that the government had no stated policy to that effect. Policy could change. Senator Norris was liable to criminal prosecution, and to make him live with that risk was a breach of his right to private life under the European Human Rights Convention. The judgment in Senator Norris's favour was given by eight votes to six, with the Irish member of the court, Mr Justice Brian Walsh, among those dissenting. And then, when we won that case, it took us five years to get the government to put this into Irish law. I said, well, it's not, it wasn't a priority, you know, which is really rather odd, considering it had been found to be a major violation of fundamental human rights. Most of the people who are homosexual are in the closet, and whether legislation is brought out or not, most of them will remain there. Is, now, is, that, I, is that where you think they should stay? No, it's not. I, I'm concerned about young people under 18. I don't believe that the effort to promote an alternative society is a good one. If this law comes, comes into being, it will introduce, it, after a while, it will get an acceptability. And it will uh, introduce thousands of young Irish boys and girls to a, to a, a, a lifestyle that I believe is an abomination. Well, it's a okay. challenge there. I, mean, I went through an educational system and a culture in which <coughs> everything was programmed to make me heterosexual. Homosexuality wasn't mentioned at all, and yet I came out as a well-adjusted homosexual. Do you mean to tell me, Brendan, that the heterosexual instinct is so weak that acknowledging the existence, acknowledging the truth, acknowledging the reality of many young people in this country is going to derail the heterosexuality of these young people? I don't think. I didn't really know anything until last night about homosexual. Until I got this... It didn't stop you writing about it in really. the Sunday world. So no, I'm surprised if you wrote about it if you didn't know anything about it. It's very charming of you to when we won that case, it took us five years to get the government to put this into Irish law.
Well, Mary Robinson had had a, a reception for us in Ars Uptron, and we had our tea and uh, nibbles and whatnot in the great state reception rooms. And it was it was an official acknowledgement. Well, right in the middle, there is Mary Robinson smiling away, and just to her left, I recognise Jeff Dudgeon. Well, there's Nick Robinson at the back, and I'm in there too. Well, Mary Robinson was wonderful, and of course she was one of my legal team, and she invited people up, but she herself was rather saddened because when she said, now we'll all go out for a photograph, quite a few of them said no. And I remember one girl in particular who'd been told by her family that if she appeared in a photograph, she needn't bother coming home for Christmas. So there was that element of, of sadness. I first encountered GCN when I moved here from Belfast and I used to go pick it up in the IFI and then it would be rolled up furtively and packed in the bag and then there was a great joy later to like opening it out and having a look through. And also obviously it was pre-internet so it was very, very important. The nostalgia that folks of a certain age would have is very specific. I was hugely invested in it for the first couple of years. Hugely, hugely invested in terms of trying to just physically make it work, but also go out and just be an enabler, persuading other people to see the value of it. It was hard, you know. It almost broke me, setting up GCN. Developing GCN was a whole new ball game. And it was also quite a lonely exercise. I mean, at one point, there literally were just two of us running the show. So by late 1989, when we had government-sponsored work schemes in place, then I realized, okay, we're on a much stronger footing now, and I can leave this. I can leave it in sure hands and hopefully these people who are now looking after it and who are now controlling it will surprise me and surprise the rest of us. Listening to 35 Years of GCN on Documentary on News Talk. My name is Brian Finnegan, and I'm the Director of Communications for LG Europe in Brussels. I had two starts working at GCN. I returned to Ireland having emigrated to London. I came back in 1993 and joined a FOSS scheme, a non-employment scheme at GCM for a year. So I was there at its very early stages when it was housed in the Hirschfeld Centre in Temple Bar. Gay Community News is put together on the second floor of a building in Temple Bar in Dublin. Kieran Rose is a regular contributor. It's very hard to actually explain to any person who's heterosexual what it's like in a society to be criminalised. 
The struggle to have the laws on homosexuality in Ireland changed has been a long one and Kieran Rose has been part of it. He says he's involved because he believes the present laws help to create a climate which encourages discrimination. Nobody expects that, like I am a criminal in this society. I know people who've been beaten up because they're gay. I know people who can't tell their parents that they are gay. I know people who have been harassed out of the areas that they live because of anti-gay prejudice. I think there were about 28 people working on it when I joined, and I don't think the newspaper even was 28 pages long at that point. I came into GCN, which was called Gay Community News at the time, and at the time it was all about politics. It's a fundamental human right to, to love another human being. And I'm looking at this country's law, and it's supposed to be a Christian country, and on, on its statute books, it says that my sexuality is illegal. It hurts me. I'm ashamed of that law. I, I, find, I find it shameful, that law. It was about decriminalisation, and it was about the fact that we were criminalised and the fact that we were trying to change that, which happened the year I began at UCM. By that stage, I'd been elected to the Senate, and I was able to campaign among my colleagues in both houses uh, by contacting them and writing them letters and all this kind of stuff and buttonholing them to get them to consider the question of changing the law. And when it came along, the minister was Maura Gagan Quinn, and she was extremely good. And she'd had a session with Phil Moore, who was the mother of a gay son. She was a, a senior Fine Gael backroom girl. And they talked together as mother to mother, because Phil had a gay son. And um, that, I think, had an important impact on the thinking of Maura Gagan Quinn. And some of the members of the opposition put down mean-minded amendments, providing, for example, for a discriminatory age of consent for gay people. And she listened to them, and then she stood up and she said, well, as minister in an Irish government, I would need clear, cogent and factual reasons in order to convince me to introduce any measure of discrimination. None have been provided, and as such, I'm not accepting any of these amendments. So that was important, and that was good. At midnight last night, the Doyle passed the second stage of the bill to decriminalise homosexual acts by consenting adults. Opening the debate, the Minister for Justice, Mrs Gagan Quinn, said the bill would leave homosexuals free to express themselves in personal relationships without the fear of being branded and punished as criminals. The Minister described the bill as a necessary development of human rights. Does anybody believe that if the laws from the last century, which we're now seeking to repeal, did not in fact exist we would now be seriously suggesting that they would be enacted. Minister for Equality and Law Reform, Mervyn Taylor, paid tribute to Senator David Norris for pursuing what was often a very lonely campaign over the last 20 years. And he remarked upon the... On Wednesday, July the 7th, 1993, the President of Ireland, Mrs Mayor Robbins, signed a law the bill which decriminalised homosexual acts between adults of 17 years and over. And I've been working on that for 20 years at that stage on the law case and so on. And I'm not in the photograph. <laughs> and I'll tell you, oh, that's Susie, Susie Byrne, I think is her name. And that's Phil Moore again. She thoroughly deserves there. Nice Chris Robson and Kieran Rose. <laughs> They're all drinking champagne outside Linster House. But they didn't bother us to say, hello, David, would like to come out and have a glass of champagne? No, they didn't. <laughs> 
At the time, it wasn't so easy to be queer in Ireland. There was no internet, there was no other way of communicating. For instance, the classified ads at the back of the newspaper were pages long because that was the only way that people could meet each other. I left after a year. You got a year on those schemes and then went back to GCN in 2003 to become its editor. It was still a newsprint publication, speaking to the community in a very particular way. And my job was to bring a commercial element to it. Previously, I'd been editing a lifestyle and fashion magazine for gay men. But I was always smuggling politics in between the pages of that. In terms of distribution, the, the GCN kind of rules will go where we're wanted. Family resource centres in Listowel and coffee shops and cinemas and anywhere basically that it was wanted. But it was also not without its challenges in that for some places it was a real act of bravery even to put it out, you know. When I started working at GCN, the editor was Brian Finnegan. GCN gave me the opportunity to really focus on what the political asks and wants were for the community. Ireland is a difficult place to, to, to be gay in. A lot of the times it feels that you're a second-class citizen and it's, it can be very, very hurtful. GCN, Gay Community News, provides a safe space to talk about these issues. A safe space for people to come and read and be politically informed, to feel more empowered because they're part of something. They feel supported. And I think that GCN is a place where it can be held, and it always was. And during the lead up to marriage equality, which is a very contentious time in Ireland's history, and in the history of the queer community in Ireland, GCN provided that space. And it actually provided a space on a third level for people to become politicized because it allowed them to read in language they connected to, in ways they understood from a trusted source. And that trusted source allowed them to engage politically. And GCN, in itself, was a catalyst for the huge movement towards marriage equality that happened in Ireland. And the community were reading about this long before the actual campaign happened. You know, if you look at the cover as the window dressing, because it's a free sheet, right? So you need to incline people to pick it up. So I always find that really interesting to sort of chart by the flow of the very magazine itself, like what was what was the hot topic or not of the day. I really love the cover that we did with the organisers, with all the people who were involved in marriage equality. It was a triple gatefold cover and it was modelled on Vanity Fair's Hollywood covers. We had all the people who were involved in the campaign and we had hair and makeup and we had a stylist and we really laid it on for this and we made it as glossy and as really proud as possible. But we shot it two months before the referendum vote. And so my direction to all of the people who were involved in the fight for marriage equality, who led that fight, 
I said to them, I need you to smile, but not too much, and I need you to hold your chin just a little bit high, because we're going to say on this cover, either we won or we live to fight another day. Wild excitement in the castle yard as the result was declared. Yes, supporters had been gathering throughout the day, emotion building as the scale of the victory became clear. For some who'd campaigned all their adult lives, it was almost too much to take in. Well, I'm very proud to be Irish. I mean, gay people are a small minority, about 10%. We've been brought on board as equal citizens. But for one of their colleagues, the outcome had a special significance. It was more like a social revolution. The journey here wouldn't have been possible without this man. David Norris was Ireland's first gay activist and fought for decades to overturn homosexuality's criminal status. So that would be a cover that I remember vividly. I also remember a cover with Alva Smith and David Norris. We dressed them up as... Louis XIV and Marie Antoinette and called them stately homos and talked about their particular contributions to LGBT rights, politics, life in Ireland. 21 years of GCN, stately homos. <laughs> and we were in 10 Ormond Quay, which is the most beautiful restored house. And there I am as kind of Louis XIV and Marie Antoinette, <laughs> dressed in with very plush knickerbockers and a, a flowing wig of golden hair. 21 years of GCN, stately homos. Look, there's many, many covers and many features I did. I remember interviewing Brenda Power at the time, a few years before marriage equality. She had a platform in the Irish Times, and as we know, she still does. And she was writing against gay marriage, saying that marriage is between a man and a woman, and using all sorts of disparaging remarks about people marching at pride and barely dressed, and drag queens and that kind of thing. So I asked her for an interview and she agreed and we sat down at the Shelburne for about an hour and a half in which I just drilled her and asked her again and again and again, what if your child was gay and wants to get married? And her answer was always, my child is not gay. You couldn't go there. I just really enjoyed that interview because I was like a dog with a bone. I published it word for word, I didn't edit it and I really liked to do that in particular and I got a huge amount of feedback at the time. When I started working at GCN, the editor was Brian Finnegan. It was a great honor toward the end of my time with GCN to take over from Brian as the managing editor. Content-wise, I think that there's been some absolutely marvelous journalism and work done across the years. There was a really powerful piece about gay conversion therapy written a few years ago that was if you want to say it like this ahead of its time and that this journalist who's a brilliant writer had uncovered a kind of a pray the gay away meeting in Ireland also you know just general coverage of marriage equality gender recognition because the highs and the lows need to be recorded you know so as much as it's about the activism and the work it's also about kind of actually 
the queer joy, the celebration, the affirmation, and, you know, visibility and representation is so important to minority communities, and LGBT people are, are no different. It's also important in informing people about what's happening around the world. If you look at the homophobia in the majority of countries on this planet, of, of states, I mean, if you look at Africa, it's unspeakable what they're doing in Senegal, in Uganda. It is horrifying, and a lot of it is funded and fueled by the American evangelical churches. It's utterly disgusting and appallingly unchristian. And then you move and you look at Putin's Russia. I have a memory of my first Pride in Dublin in 1993. It was the year that I joined GCN and also the year after decriminalisation. So it was a big moment for the LGBT community at the time. David Norris made a speech from the steps of the Central Bank and it was a real moment of euphoria. But along with this, I was marching in Pride and I marched past a woman that day who spat at me. And she said, God hates you. And that's not gone away. We had Leo Varadkar last week saying that homophobia is present in Irish society. We have people in our libraries being harassed. And what's happening in Ireland now, the rise of the far right, is something we never quite imagined would happen. We have people being murdered. You know the murders in Sligo last year, which were hugely disturbing for me and disturbing for all of Ireland. And what I would say is that there's a real sense that things are okay. We've got gay marriage. The Catholic Church did not win in that respect. And we seem to be a very liberal and forward-thinking country. But I don't think we can ever be complacent. Some people find it easier to see two men kill each other. It's more acceptable. But if you see two men walking down the street holding hands, or for that matter, two women holding hands, people are offended. I can't understand that logic. When GCN was first published, it wasn't legal to be homosexual in Ireland but actually the truth is that it's perhaps even more important now because there's a real piece of resistance needed in that the rise of the far right across the globe but particularly in, in Europe is really concerning. I mean you only need to look to Italy to see what's happening for LGBT parents. Lesbian moms are having their names removed from birth certs so the threat is there and, you know, sadly, it's, it's positive societal changes and positive legislative changes for minorities are fantastic and welcomed. But there's a great quote I, I once heard someone said, which is, we must resist the idea that progress is linear. And look, we can see with the states as well, rights can be taken away and so we need to be vigilant. You know, you hear this a lot, even for lots of different parts of our community but say trans folks there would have been very poor trans visibility even a decade ago and even somehow knowing that another trans person existed would be hugely important understanding that they weren't alone in a really basic way was is step one you know trans people myself included my friends like we can't go a day without being harassed on the streets or you know I've been you know had death threats uh, and that kind of thing and this is just a normal thing for trans people to go through. But the message organisers wanted to deliver today was that there was support for trans rights. There is uh, so much negativity coming towards our trans people and everyone in our community needs to be represented and seen. <laughs> 
The crowd heard demands for better health care and an end to discrimination, with many speakers expressing strong solidarity with other minority groups. We did a print actually in lockdown and it was a quote from the amazing activist Yevgeny Storn and it said, our solidarity is in our visibility. That is really key. That's why Pride exists. That's why that colourful display happens because we're not there yet and people need to know that. So there's a really strong piece of resistance in it for me. The first Gay Pride march that I was involved in, uh, there were about eight or nine of us. And we, we marched up to, the, to the, um, the Department of Justice and all the secretaries of the Department of Justice were looking out through the first floor. 88 was the first magazine. It was still illegal to be gay in Ireland in 1988. You can witness such intense social change in the pages of GCN across those decades. GCN, you know, was the mirror or is the mirror and is, is a document to what was going on, what we were concerned about at any given moment. Even kind of who was advertising, what money was being spent, who was talking to the community. There's such a wealth in that. And that's why I welcome anyone to look at the recently launched GCN archive. They've digitised the first 10-year stretch of magazine, which is absolutely a wealth because that was such a pivotal time. I think it's a great paper. Yeah, well, I, th I think it's extremely important. And they also take up issues that the mainstream media neglect. And that's a very important role for gay community news. I'll give you another reason why GCN is really important. GCN provides a safe space to talk about these issues. So its importance cannot be underestimated in those terms. GCN isn't only the people who make it, it is entirely its readers. And I'm really glad to see that there are still readers in this world where everything is 148 characters or a quick TikTok video. I'm glad to see that GCN is still alive and well. I'll always have a certain particular type of fondness for GCN because of my instigator role in it. But every day I'm waiting for the magazine and the people who are involved in it to continue to surprise me and intrigue me and provoke me. And that's what any good publication should do. It's a pleasure to reminisce on GCN's early days and give some thought to the place that it has for Irish queers today. Five Years of GCN was produced by Sean and Morris and was supported by a grant from Commission Naman as part of the Sound and Vision scheme with the television licence fee. For more documentaries, visit Newstalk.com.